morning. Take your Bibles out with us. If you would turn, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you'd like to have a sermon study guide, just lift up your hand and we'll make sure you get one this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 within God's Word. I'd like to start off the message this morning by being able to do a little audience participation. I'd like to take a vote this morning. How many married people we have here this morning? Lift up your hands. Wow, look at that. What do you call, what do you call your mate, your spouse, when you don't use their first proper name? Now be nice now. Be godly now. Huh? What, what title, what nickname, what pet romantic name do you use? I checked out the top ten. Top ten nicknames used by lovers, used by uh, married people, spouses, from Bride Magazine. I want to share those with you one after another, and I'd like to hear your response if you really like that name, I want you to clap. Let's see how well you clap this morning. Okay, The clapper is working. If you don't like the name, and you would never use that name with your spouse, I want you to give your boo. Let's hear your boo. Okay, by some knees on this side over here. Boy, this is a scary side. They're pretty loud over here on the right. Real good. Okay. Romantic nickname number one. Darling. Number two. Sweetheart. Number three. Honey. The same guy is booing every time. Honey is the one that I use all the time. For my Becky, yeah. Number four, babe. Number five, baby. For those of you of the WRIF generation, baby. Okay. Number six, honey bunny. Number seven, pumpkin. Oh, come on now. There might be some people here that use that name for each other. Oh, they might be hurt. I don't want them leaving church hurt. Number eight, Nugget. I'd never heard that one before, but it was in the list. Number nine, Dumpling. Oh, you don't like Dumpling? I could see some of you young marriage using Dumpling with one another. Number 10, Snookums. Ooh. Ooh. My, my, my. We, we have discovered in marital counseling that what comes out of your mouth, how you title, how you label, how you name your spouse will determine, in many ways, your relationship and how you perceive the other. You know, worse, far worse than some of the names that we just mentioned uh, for our spouses and our mates, uh, uh, have you ever heard a couple, I've told Becky, don't you dare even go there. Have you ever heard a couple uh, he calls her mother, and she calls him father. Oh, I said, don't go there. I am not your father, and you're not my mother. <laughs> or have you ever heard a couple call each other old man and old lady? Yeah, that's a real boo. Names are how we view our mate in our relationship. Uh, er every morning, uh, especially between the 10 o'clock and the 11 o'clock hour, we stop for a moment as a staff and have staff prayer. And we get in a circle and uh, we share our prayer needs and then have prayer. 
And uh, it was a while back, a new secretary had come on board, and uh, she was sharing a prayer need uh, about her husband, and uh, she kept using the term, kept using the word that uh, caught my attention, and I thought, wow, that is, that's a good one. Boy, that characterizes their relationship. What a blessing on their marriage. And uh, she referred to her husband with the nickname Lover. They call one another Lover. Lover. I like that. I like that. You know, Jesus has many titles. Christ, Messiah, Good Shepherd, the Judge of the whole earth, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. The title that you focus in on the most will determine in many ways your perception of your relationship with our Lord. How do you see Him? When you pray, do you see Him as uh, the cosmic Santa Claus and you only pray when you present a shopping list to Him? Uh, as you walk uh, in this life, do you see Him as the almighty judge, the master record keeper? Oh, Frank Mastretta blew it again. Red mark on Frank Mastretta. Uh, is that how you see God? Do you see him as the omnipotent, majestic, incredible, infinite, uh, transcendent God who is so lofty you cannot have relationship with him? So majestic and transcendent you cannot know him? Or do you see our Lord as the Bible reveals him? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, For I am jealous for you, church, with the jealousy of God Himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband. Who is this one husband? Who is our bridegroom? Christ Jesus. Think of it. The Gospels the epistles, uh, the letters of the apostles, even the last book of Revelation. In fact, the entire Old Testament, yea, the whole Bible, reveals this incredible truth about our Lord over and over and over again. It is the most frequent picture of our Lord in the entire Bible. Not as judge, not as king, not as master, but as the lover of our soul, our bridegroom. Do you know him in that perspective? Why does he want us to see him as the lover of our soul, as our bridegroom? Because it's the most loving and the most intimate of relationships. I sought the Lord and what I should preach in the last message series of this year. Can you believe this year is already almost over? And of course I'll be talking about Christmas next month. So this is our last regular message series of the year. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach and teach on and share with the congregation? And he directed me to his love story and to his love. The Bible, if you gain a new appreciation for it, a fresh revelation of it, is a love story that began before time itself. It's a love story that will never end. It's a love story that will take you from the here and now into the hereafter. I'm wanting you, my prayer in this last message series of the year is to experience a brand new, fresh new revelation of who our Lord is and our relationship to Him. And I've simply titled this last message series and the title of this sermon this morning, Lover, Lover. Do you know the love of your lover for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit 
and speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Knowing the Lord as our lover comes by realizing the ancient Jewish marriage customs. The ancient Jewish wedding had three stages. Please note them. The first stage was the arrangement stage. Even as children in ancient Jewish times, parents would arrange the marriage of their children. The kids did not have a decision in this matter. The parents arranged the marriages. How many, how many, how many parents wish it was that way today? Hmm? How many, how many young people, young adults, how many singles this morning would like to have their marriage arranged by your parents? Boo or applause? Yeah, notice, it wasn't very strong. So I think we need to get involved. How many of you parents out there wish that your marriage had been arranged by your parents? Okay, put those hands down. Okay. Oh my. The second stage is the betrothal stage. We look at it as the engagement stage. The betrothal stage in ancient Jewish times was far more legal, far more binding than today's engagement is. It's the literal marriage. The bridegroom would leave his father's house and travel to the home of the bride. And there he would take out his wallet, so to speak, and pay a dowry price for his bride. He would pay for the entire wedding. He would pay for the entire reception and wedding feast. Him and his father would foot the whole bill as a father of two daughters. Oh God, bring that back. Bring that back. He would then be legally, after paying the dowry price, be legally married. Vows would be exchanged. A covenant cup would be drank together by the betrothed bride and bridegroom. Then, after being legally married, going through all of the hoops to be legally married in a covenant relationship, he would return back to his father's house with a 12-month separation. Everything would be done with the marriage except the consummation of it physically through sexual relations. After 12 months comes the third stage. During those 12 months, you might be asking, what has the bridegroom been doing? He's been putting his finances in order. He has been building and preparing a house for his bride. He has been setting the stage for a solid marriage and a solid family. He is proving that he is a responsible, mature husband for his wife. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? After the 12 months separation is the third stage. The third stage. The third stage is the consummation stage. She expected his return, but did not know the exact moment of his return. Most bridegrooms would return from the father's house at the midnight hour in the middle of the night in a torch-lit procession with all of the groomsmen. The bridegroom would usually come at the midnight hour and there would come forth the shout as she was expecting his return with her bridesmaids around her. There would come forth a shout, Behold, the bridegroom cometh! It wasn't, here comes the bride. Back in that day, it was, here comes the bridegroom. And he would come and whisk her away back to his father's house. And there, they would go into the bridal chamber and the door would be shut. 
And in the bridal chamber, the marriage would be consummated and then would begin a seven-day-long marriage feast. And you thought your wedding reception was expensive. Such are the three stages of the ancient Jewish wedding. Write this down if you would. Viewing God's Word in the light of the ancient Jewish wedding customs, we see an incredible salvation parallel. Have you already picked up on it? We see an amazing love story. Like ancient Jewish parents, God, the Father, has arranged a marriage between His Son and a lost world uh, Far before the foundations of the world were laid, my Bible and your Bible says that the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Doesn't your Bible and my Bible say that God the Father arranged a marriage between His Son and a lost world? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus left His throne of glory. Jesus left at the right time, at the right moment. He left His Father's house to gain a bride. And what was the dowry price? that our bridegroom has paid for you and I. He loves you so much. He loves us so much. He did not pay with gold or silver. He didn't pay with Visa or MasterCard. How much was the dowry price? What did he pay to become your bridegroom and you his bride? First Peter declares, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And every drop of blood from the cross cried out, I love you. You are not cheap. You are not common. You are not ordinary. You are so special. The blood of God was shed in Christ Jesus to win you as a holy and a pure bride, the church. After he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father on high, he went back to his Father's house. Again, do you see the salvation parallel? Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Now listen, I go to prepare a place for you. Who's the you here? The bride, the bride, the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? The church, Christian, you and I, all the believers uh, of this world and time uh, immemorial. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So what are we supposed to be doing right now? At what stage are we at right now when it comes to the ancient Jewish wedding customs? We're in the third stage. I said, we're in the third stage. Uh, like the bride uh, uh, in Jesus' parable of Matthew 25, uh, we don't know the exact hour, but we expect Him to come at any moment. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's going to be in the morning. I don't know if it's going to be in the noon. I don't know if it's going to be in the evening. All I know, it's going to be very, very soon. When all of a sudden, at the midnight hour, what are we going to hear? Behold, the bridegroom has come. And my Bible and your Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will descend 
from heaven with a shout. Uh, the voice of the archangel. Who is the best man? He is the best man of the bridegroom. It's the archangel that will be shouting, Behold, your bridegroom has come. Uh, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You can view, you can perceive the entire Bible through the lens of the ancient Jewish wedding. The entire Bible is a love story. Our relationship with Jesus, it's a love story. He's the lover of your soul and He's coming back. He's coming back. <laughs> and what a day that will be when He ushers us into the bridal chamber in heaven and we receive the consummation of our salvation. For John said uh, very clearly in his epistle, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And then we read in Revelation that as the bride and the bridegroom are joined together by God in heaven, there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. You will never understand the Bible fully. You will never understand Bible prophecy fully. You'll never understand or appreciate your relationship with the Lord fully until you view it through the lens of the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony and customs. You see, our Lord doesn't want our relationship with Him to be that of a king and a subject or a judge and a defendant or a master and slave. He wants our relationship to be that which is of a lover and loved. A lover and loved. How would you describe our Lord's love for us? How would you describe it? Of all the symbols, of all the pictures, of all the analogies and metaphors in the Bible that is used the most, God points to marriage. God points to the love, the commitment, the intimacy of marriage to picture, to allow us in our human understanding to gain a picture of His relationship with us. But look at marriages today. Look at relationships today. How would you describe them? Well, before I tell you what kind of love our lover loves us with, let me tell you what this love is not. This love... This love is not, this love is not infatuation love. It's not feelings love. It's not uh, the infatuation love of high school sweethearts. I, at age 16, I was madly in love with Tracy Grauberg. The problem was she lived in Wixom and I lived in Livonia and I couldn't drive yet. And that was half a world away. And we would write letters. Can you imagine? That sounds prehistoric. Just writing letters between Livonia and Wixom. And when mom and dad would let me, I'd talk on the phone with her. At my 16th birthday party, this girl that I was madly in love with and I had these first feelings of love with, my dad said, I'll drive you out to Wixom and she can be your 16th birthday party date. And I was so proud of my dad 
greatest dad in the world to chauffeur me all the way from Livonia to Wixom, picked up Tracy, came back, had this wonderful 16th birthday party, had my, my, my girlfriend right sitting next to me. Mom and dad took all kinds of pictures. Of course, in that day and time, the pictures were mainly, we used them for slides that we would throw, I have to tell the young people what slides are. It would be the picture in a, we'd put it in a slide projector and project it on a big screen. It's like PowerPoint. Yeah, are we all on the same page now? And weeks later, I was able to view the pictures of my 16th birthday party up on the projector screen. And I said, look, look, in complete shock. Terrible, hurt feelings and rejection. My girlfriend that was sitting next to me was sitting in between me and my buddy, Wayne, and we could see through the picture what was going on under the table. She was holding hands with Wayne under the table. She was a two-timer. She was two-timing your pastor. <laughs> Feelings love. Infatuation love. Some call it puppy love. If you're just subsisting on puppy love, let me tell you something. Puppy love leads to a dog's life. It does. Our Lord's love isn't like that. It's not governed by feelings. Our Lord's love isn't like free love. If you came through the 60s, the sexual revolution, you know the phrase free love. Free lovers, I mean, they even say it today. Our love needs no piece of paper, no legal document to make it real. And it all sounded so romantic, living together, shacking up together. Yet that free love wasn't strong enough to deal with the first financial pressures the first personality adjustments, the first differences of opinion. And those so-called free lovers one morning packed their bags and went on to other free lovers. Capiche? Are you with me in this? And, 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 and then there's the easy lovers. Easy lovers. You know what the easy lovers are? Oh, let me depict it with this uh, classified ad that appeared in the Rocky Mountain News. This appeared, I'm not making this up. Will trade my non-cooking and non-shopping wife with attitude problem for one Super Bowl ticket. No Indian givers. Call Jim, 719-762-1000. Hurry! Easy love is conditional love. Easy love has the idea that our marital vows are not sacred. Easy love, uh, uh, it's conditional, not unconditional love. I'll love you as long as you keep looking good. I'll love you as long as you look slim and trim. I'll love you as long as you bring home a, a fat paycheck. i love you just as long as you give me what I need and want and desire. Conditional love. Easy love. Easy love has had a devastating effect upon our nation's families. Do you realize that our generation has divorced Divorced five times more, five times greater than the generation before us? Do you realize that in some states it is easier to get a divorce than it is a driver's license? The, the vows of till death do us part have become conditional. They've become a joke. Today it's till disagreement do us part. Till you lose your good looks do us part. Till times get tough do us part. Uh, till divorce do us part. This isn't the purpose of my sermon this morning. But let me say this to couples who are contemplating divorce. Yes, working through is hard. Working through is harder than walking out. But it's God's way. Don't quit. 
Hang tough. Stay at it. And your children will thank you for it. Uh, Your church will thank you for it. And God one day will bless you for it. Stay tough. Hang in there. It's God's way. Our Lord's love for us isn't like puppy love, free love, easy love. Our Lord's love for us is persevering love. Persevering. He doesn't vanish when times get tough. He doesn't vanish even when we fail Him and we transgress and sin. My Bible, your Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we are faithless, He is what? That blows my mind. Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. Maybe I'm talking to somebody here this morning or watching us live stream. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you have failed the Lord. Maybe you have sinned greatly. Refuse to be a prisoner of your past. Uh, Shake off the disappointments of yesterday. Refuse to drag around yesterday's guilt and condemnation. God still has a plan for your life. God still has good things for you. The Bible says that His mercies, God's mercies are new every morning. You may have made a lot of mistakes, uh, but God hasn't run out of mercy. He has infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite loving kindness, and you can never exhaust it by blowing it, by sinning, or making mistakes. You can never ever exhaust the love of your lover. My Bible says that our God makes a fresh new batch of mercy every single morning. You know why? Because He knew we were going to use it up the day before. His unfailing steadfast love is greater than all of our sins. His steadfast love is so abiding, so persevering, so faithful. He went the distance to prove His love for us. He didn't go A-W-O-L. He didn't go over the hill. He didn't dodge. He didn't bergdahl. He went to the cross. He went the distance. He shed His blood. Uh, He cried out on the cross, It is finished. His love wasn't a matter of feelings. His love wasn't a matter of words. He demonstrated it with a cross. With a cross. And He is the one who is your lover who the Bible says sticks closer than any, any brother. He has said in the Word, He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Others may serve you divorce papers. Others may betray you. Others may run around on you. But I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Will you embrace your persevering lover this morning? He longs for it. Our Lord's love for us is passionate love. Passionate love. A preacher was preaching just like myself. And suddenly in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of his preaching, who all of a sudden suddenly appears standing right next to him, reeking with sulfur, ghastly in appearance. It is Lucifer, old devil, the Satan. It's Slewfoot who has appeared in church. The people screamed. The pastor acted like a little girl. And they all fled the building. They all ran out. Except from one old dude that sat right in the front pew. Lucifer looked down at him and said, Do you know who I am? The old man replied, Yeah. Aren't you afraid of me, Satan roared? No, sure ain't. Do you know that I could cause you agonizing, horrifying, grotesque, terrifying agony for all eternity? Satan roared at him. Yeah. And you're still not afraid of me? No, said the old man. 
Satan finally irritated and frustrated looked down at him and said, Why aren't you afraid of me? Tell me. Give me one good reason. The man calmly looked up and said, I've been married to your sister for 48 years. And ain't nothing going to scare me. I think we had a problem marriage there. Thank God I didn't have to counsel it. A real danger in marital love. And I probably, us pastors, probably deal with this more than any other issue of love in the home. The issues that we deal with are not necessarily puppy love. That's Pastor Ryan's area. It's not easy love or free love. What we consistently deal with are what I call marriages of convenience. What is a marriage of convenience? It's staying together for the sake of the kids. It's staying together for financial reasons. It, it's staying together because we're afraid of what people are going to think and what they're going to say. It's staying together, but living separate lives. Uh, it's staying legally married. It's staying together. But first love, romance, passion is long gone from the marriage and the relationship. Sir, ma'am, young person, real love in a marriage is far more than commitment. I'm thankful that my marriage to Becky is far more than just commitment. It's far more than just vows. It's romance with a capital R. It's passion. It's passion. Our Lord's love for you is more than persevering. Our Lord's love for you is more than steadfast, faithful love. It's passionate love. You need to understand that to have a working relationship with Jesus. In a marriage, a marriage that is marked by passion and romance is a marriage of long walks and long talks. It's snuggling at this time of the year together in front of the fireplace. It's being together. It's being best friends. Uh, it's demonstrated with loving uh, courtesy, opening the door for her, taking off her coat, moving the chair out. Uh, it's loving affection. Uh, it, it's calling her, him, sweetheart, babe, uh, honey, uh, lover. And in the bedroom, it experiences the oneness, the intimacy that God has designed only for the covenant of marriage. Our Lord's passionate love for us is revealed throughout the Word of God. We see it throughout the entire Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we hear God saying what in Deuteronomy? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If you were to Google that on YouTube with Oprah Winfrey's name attached to it, you'll see a video of Oprah Winfrey confessing that's what turned her off to the Christian church when she heard that God is a jealous God. It turned her off to Christianity and turned her on to the New Age religion. Sadly, regretfully, many like Oprah Winfrey have misunderstood that statement where God says, I am a jealous God. This is not to be painting God in a sinful way whatsoever. For he is the holy of holies. He cannot sin. It's impossible. It's a beautiful depiction of our lover. You see, love is always exclusive. Uh, no one can be in love with two people at the same time. It's impossible. Only one garners the affections and the attentions of your heart. Uh, a jealous God is saying that he's a 
passionate lover. He desires no one to share his affections in your heart. That's why over and over again in the Old Testament, God's relationship with Israel is as a bridegroom to a bride. And, and when Israel chased after idols, it hurt God's heart so bad that he said, you have gone into harlotry. You have prostituted yourselves. You've gone a-whoring. And he labels it spiritual adultery because his passion is that our love for him would be first and foremost and only unto him. Our God will not allow anything to divide your loyalty and your love unto him. If something is garnering your focus, your attention, your time, your love far more than your God, it has become an idol in your life. And remember, he's a passionate lover and he'll allow sorrow. He'll allow something to catch your attention. He'll allow something to detour you from chasing a highway to hell and put you on a highway to heaven. In the Gospels, when Jesus revealed His love for us, He didn't just say it. He didn't just feel it. He demonstrated it. John 15 declares, There is no greater love, Jesus said, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He went to the whipping post. He let them pull out His beard. He let them spit in His face. He suffered rejection. He suffered false accusation. He suffered betrayal. He suffered crucifixion. And every drop of blood cried out, I love you! I love you! I love you! And that's why at communion, on the communion table, it is engraved, do this in remembrance of me. Our lover doesn't want to be forgotten. Our lover wants to be remembered as the lover of your soul. I love you. I'm willing to show my love for you. I went the distance. I died for you. And in the book of Revelation, this love does not end. This passionate love does not cease. Revelation 2.4 here we read the last words of Jesus to the church. The church of Ephesus, an active, organized, programmed church. A popular church. Yet Jesus has to say to them, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have settled for a marriage of convenience. And you've left your first love. You don't love me the way you used to at the first this was not condemnation. It wasn't said in a judgmental way. We see God saying it. We see the Lord saying it in a hurtful way. His heart is hurting. You've left your first love. And it's no wonder He ends His last words to the church. The very last words of Jesus in the Bible to the church are what? Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and fellowship and dine with him and he with me do you see the passion of our lover here his love is more than persevering it's passionate it's romantic it's, it persists Our Jesus cries for personal intimacy. You see, Christianity is not a long-distance affair. Christianity is not a denominational statement. It's not a doctrinal creed. Christianity is a personal, close-up relationship with the lover of our soul, Jesus. How can we touch the heart of our divine lover? What is it that he so desires from us? What touches his heart? By pressing into his presence with passionate praise. Passionate praise. Why praise? Do you know that praise gives God pleasure? The Bible says that Psalms 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We don't hear, uh, Oh, bless my soul, O Lord. 
You have the ability, you have the privilege to romance the Lord with your praise. You have the ability to bless the Lord with your worship. He takes great pleasure in it. It delights Him. You are called to thank Him for what He has done. Thank Him for what He is doing. Thank Him for what He will do. Praise Him for who He is. And adore Him as the lover of your soul. Why praise? Praise leads us into the very presence of God. Psalms 22. God inhabits the praise of His people. God's presence and praise go hand in hand. I've often had people come to me and they've told me, your mannerisms, in fact, the way you talk, the way you sound, are exactly like your father. And I've looked at him and I've said, well, who else? I was in his presence for the most formative years of my life. You want to be more like Jesus? Do you yearn in your heart to be godly? Do you yearn in your heart to mature and get closer to Jesus and be more like Him? Then press into His presence with praise. Press into His presence with a yearning and a passion to give Him pleasure in praise and worship. Why praise? Praise focuses us on our lover instead of things and problems. Why, why have so many people, why have so many Christians settled for mundane, mediocre, miserable Christian lives? Why have so many settled for a marriage of convenience with the Lord? Because they've chosen to be pulled around by their emotions. They've chosen to be pulled around by their feelings. They've chosen to be governed by how they feel. I've often asked people, why is it I, I never see you lifting up your hands and praising the Lord? Why don't you enter into praise and worship? This is our highest calling as children of the King. And they've looked me straight in the eye and say. Well, when I have the feelings for it, then I'll do it. <laughs> Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, we are not to be tugged around by our feelings. We are to stand on the Word of God. If He says do it, if He commands it, if He calls for it, if I read within His Word, let everything that hath breath <laughs> praise the Lord. And I'm going to lift up my hands. And I'm going to rejoice in His presence. Uh, I believe that the church needs to have a fresh new vision of heaven and in hell. Right now, you really don't know what God has saved you from by dying on the cross for you and I. But one day, you're going to get to heaven. Why do we read in the book of Revelation that there's so much praise and worship in heaven? Because, because, because they have a fresh revelation of heaven and a fresh revelation of the hell that they were saved from. Hallelujah! And when you consider that God became flesh in Jesus and He suffered torture, He suffered betrayal, rejection, and they spat upon Him and crucified Him. And why did He do it? To save you, to save your children, to save your spouse, to save your grandchildren from hell. Well, I don't believe in hell. Then why did God send Jesus to die on a cross? He didn't die on a cross just to save us from our sins. He died on a cross to save us from hell. <laughs> Ask God to give you a fresh new revelation of what you've been saved from and what you have been saved to. And you'll have no problem lifting up your hands and declaring blessing and honor and glory and power to Him who sits upon the throne. You'll have no problem crying out, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. I love you, Jesus. I praise you. Press 
into his presence with praise to express your love and your adoration. Don't be led by your emotions. Be led by your faith in a God who cannot and will not fail us. Listen, this morning, if you've got any rivers that you think are uncrossable, if you've got any mountains you can't tunnel through, our God, our lover, specializes in things thought impossible, and He can still do what no other power could ever possibly do. Isaiah 61, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of despair has a spirit of hopelessness, a spirit of depression, a spirit of fear, a spirit of of disillusionment, a spirit of defeat invaded your soul. Oh, lift up your hands, lift up your voice and see him who sits upon the throne and everything will be all right. Lavish your praises on the lover of your soul. Hear me. He won't settle for a marriage of convenience. Hear me. He's not an unfaithful lover. He he, he will never serve you divorce papers. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Feel even now His warm, unfailing embrace. Feel his warm arms of love all about you. Lift up your eyes and recognize he's not some emaciated namby-pamby savior on a crucifix. He's risen from the dead and ascended to the Father on high with all authority in heaven and in earth. uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, but especially the lover of your soul. Stand with me here this morning. Stand with me here this morning. God is calling us to a fresh new revelation of Jesus. Yes, He's King of Kings. But most of all, He's the lover. The lover of your soul. Hallelujah. I'm not going to ask for heads to be bowed. I'm not going to ask for eyes to be closed. This morning, this is the family of God, the household of faith, the body, the living body of of Jesus Christ. This is the bride of Christ. And if you're struggling this morning with attack from the enemy, if you're struggling this morning with betrayal, rejection, hurts from the past hurts in the presence maybe even in your own home your own relationships maybe even your own marriage and the hurt is so great that you can't stand it any longer this morning I want you to know there's victory Uh, this is breakthrough morning amen I want you to know that this is a morning where we're lifting up our lover on, on, on high. If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand? You're dealing with attack. You're dealing with fears. You're dealing with depression. You're confronting things that are coming against you. Or maybe your children. Just lift up your hand. That's right. Lift it up high. Amen. The reason I have you lift it up high, others right now are wondering, should I lift my hand up or not? And, and they need to be honest with themselves. That's right. Amen. Amen. Could you join me right down here at the altar right now? Just join me down here at the altar right now. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus.